Welcome back to NALFA's Affordable Housing Podcast. My name is Allison Ward, NALFA's Membership and Operations Associate. Today we are joined by Dale Adams, President of the Garland Housing Finance Corporation, to discuss the City Square Lofts project that received the prestigious NALFA Award of Redevelopment Excellence in 2020. Along with Dale, we are also joined by Bill Fisher, the development consultant from Rise Residential on the project. Thank you both for joining us today and congratulations again on your well-deserved award. Thank you very much, Allison. We're happy to be here and thank you for having us on the podcast. Thanks for inviting us. We really appreciate it. Uh, NALF is a wonderful organization and winning any kind of recognition from you all is as good as it gets. Thank you. Absolutely, it's very well-deserved. So to start us off, can you share with us the inspiration behind the project and what motivated its creation? You know, as part of the competitive uh, funding process in Texas, we are looking for particular target areas. Um, obviously, we're looking for the best markets we can be in. We're looking for major metropolitan areas, which Garland certainly fits that bill. Very, very large, very um, prosperous uh, community in Dallas County. Um, we target uh, downtown or area revitalizations, which... Uh, generally give us some advantages um, in the scoring and funding opportunities with the state. We like the Garland market. We approached the city of Garland. Um, they identified a revitalization area that they had established in downtown. The city of Garland had invested millions of dollars in improvements in downtown Garland. They'd redone their city hall. They'd facilitated parking. Light rail had been brought in. Uh, market rate multifamily and retail had been added to the community. Uh, but as you headed toward our location, which happened to be across the street from the city's building and engineering group facility, was the tallest building in Garland, which was the former Bank of America Tower. And the B Bank of America Tower was substantially empty and was, uh, frankly, there were vagrants living there on a regular basis. Uh, it had been run down, um, an old, old glass tower. Um, that frankly did not fit in at all with the current community and anything modern and certainly contrasted dramatically from, from the wonderful additions that the city had, had done in the downtown area. So we identified this eyesore. Um, it was clearly hurting property values in the neighborhood. And of course, you know, this, the city is, is very proud of their image and rightfully so. But to have this eyesore right across the street from their building and engineering facility, uh, something had to be done. Garland is a special place for an affordable developer because it is a major metro area. Uh, in our state, the demand for affordable housing is off the Richter scale. Um, but we also want good schools for the families and, and that live there with school-aged children. And there, frankly, is not much of a better school district in Dallas uh, County than Garland. And Garland specifically is one of the few that offers school choice so that our uh, resident household students have a chance to pick the campus that they attend. Um, obviously the light rail close by facilitates folks getting in and out of the area as well. And this location is particularly close to Garland High School, uh, which is for practical purposes, walking distance. Uh, the city wanted uh, dense, dense high, you know, high density multifamily as part of this. Um, we did a mixed income development, which was also something that the city wants that I think all the white papers tell us is good for affordable residents to be in a mixed income environment where they see working families and professionals um, living in the identical unit that they're in, uh, going to work every day and, and, and seeing that their children are, uh, that go to school with them now are no different than they are. It has a real positive impact in our experience. 
this is about a three acre site. So this is the first phase of a two phase development that the city would like in this revitalization area. And uh, city square loss is the first phase in this location. Uh, the other thing I think that caught us all, um, and I don't want to speak for the HFC, but I think their folks had the same thing. Once we got into the building, we realized not only was it the tallest building, but that the upper floors of this six-story building had beautiful, unobstructed vistas of Dallas County in all four directions. So it, it also you know, lent itself to very desirable units in a mixed income environment, so, which is certainly going to be good for the leasing and clearly was. I do want to add, as I mentioned earlier, the proximity to light rail um, was is always good uh, for all housing, and in my opinion, certainly for affordable housing. And the light rail is is in close proximity to our property, and I and, and I think most multifamily developers, whether they're market rate or affordable today, are always concerned about transit corridors. Uh, Garland is unusual in this case. Many suburban areas of Dallas County did not opt in to the light rail system. Garland bought in early. They were in uh, the, some of these original um, building plans. And so they offer light rail to their community when many, many other um, uh, communities in Dallas County uh, uh, didn't opt in early enough and, and have yet to see the light rail system. So we were in the right place, in the right city, in the right area, and it, the stars aligned uh, with what uh, the state agency was prioritizing for funding in that year. Well, it sure sounds, sounds like you found the perfect place. You love it when a plan comes together. Uh, we had a relationship with the Garland Housing Finance Corporation, and we'll certainly get into this in this discussion, but I do want to make sure people understand public-private partnerships work. Uh, the Garland Housing Finance Corporation, because I do work all over this state and other states, is the best uh, a partner that we've ever had. And I've worked with them over the years many times. And between a, a board that's real, really behind housing initiatives that work in Garland and the consultants that they use, uh, lawyers and, and investment bankers, uh, it, it was a winning combination. And, and we're grateful and blessed to have been involved with them in a project in Garland. Thank you for saying that, Bill. We really appreciate it. Um, this project, from the perspective of a board member, um, you know, was the, was the right fit. <clears throat> we found the right developer. Um, and, and from the perspective of someone who lives a couple of blocks away from the building, um, was very welcome to the community. Uh, I, I personally drive past what was the Bank of America building every day on my way to work. And, and it was an eyesore. And it was, uh, you know, we have this beautiful downtown city square um, with uh, some great restaurants and some great shops and walking distance from the, uh, the dark rail. And, um, you know, this was exactly what we needed to, to kind of complete the circle. Awesome. Well, I actually want to circle back to something that Bill mentioned. Can you tell me more about any key partnerships? I mean, I obviously see a wonderful partnership between both of your organizations. Just want to touch on that. Can you tell me a little bit more about the relationship and how the partnership worked throughout the course of the project? Well, in, in our state, um, public-private partnerships work. Um, the housing finance corporations bring a variety of benefits to a developer. Um, there's a sales tax exemption for their participation in the construction, which allows us to build a much better product, and that, that helps us all. Obviously, the housing finance corporation board is a well-respected group of professionals uh, that the city uh, elected officials know well, and their involvement is, was, in my opinion, key to getting uh, folks on board with this development team. 
There was also a special nuance in the uh, QAP in our state related to scoring that uh, was derived from financial contributions from local government uh, entities. And the Garland Housing Finance Corporation is an extension um, of the city of Garland. And so as a result of that, they check a box and then they and their investment bankers and lawyers work together to facilitate um, some additional financing for the project that made our score, you know, frankly, a winner from the beginning. So from a development perspective, they're a great partner to have. They brought the tools to the table that frankly, without the development would never have happened. So their partnership with an experienced developer like Rise, you know, made, made, made the starting point for this winning combination. All right, wonderful to hear. So let's dive kind of into the nitty gritty of it. Were there any obstacles you faced during the creation of your project? And if so, what, what insight can you share with our listeners for, you know, best practices or lessons learned from these hurdles? You know, this is an adaptive reuse. And, uh, and, and there are a lot of adaptive reuse opportunities I think developers have in their communities if they'll look around. I do want to warn them that adaptive reuses are harder than we planned. They, they're harder than we look. This was Rise as an 18-year-old developer. Uh, they've built over 10,000 affordable housing units in various states, and this was their first adaptive reuse. So I think the, um, the, the, the first warning is, um, is to be prepared for the challenges of an adaptive reuse, taking a building that was not purposed for housing and converting it to housing. And then you add to that the fact that, that you as a developer are going to want to bring modern living features to a former, in this case, office building. Um, if this is a six-story steel structure, remember it's the former Bank of America tower in Garland. It has concrete floors. Uh, it has a one utility chase that runs up the building. And so getting, getting the building design right with the confines of the building and uh, identifying the necessary costs uh, that it's going to take to make the floor plates work and get plumbing and electrical uh, water and sewer run across all the floors uh, to facilitate living units was uh, much more significant uh, than we thought. And so I would certainly make sure people go in with their eyes wide open. I think we were naive enough to believe that because it was an existing structure, the overall building cost would likely be less than new construction. <laughs> that was not the case. So we had to pay for the building to, to buy it. And on top of that, we, for practical purposes, had all new construction costs by the time the day was done in order to adapt the uh, building and, and make it work. Um, you know, the age of the building was an issue as well. So there are many things in the building that we probably, that probably could have been made to work, except the age was so old that they really had, had to be uh, replaced. Uh, of course, accessibility is a big issue for us in affordable housing. And so a building that was built back in the 60s and early 70s that was not designed with accessibility in mind. So the exteriors of the building, how to get into the building, access the building, and then, of course, making all the common area around the building, uh, all the common area features accessible was, was another thing that I would recommend people look at carefully. We're always confined in an adaptive reuse by the building footprint that's there. So we do need to think about these things, about what we really need to do to, to you know, meet our constituencies, and frankly, in most states, the requirements of the state to ensure that everything is accessible to everyone. 
the fact this was an elevator serve building was good because our residents, uh, whether they're special needs or wheelchair bound, can get to any unit on any floor, any amenity in any common area, and they can visit their friends and their friends can visit them. And that was a real plus to it. But, but addressing those issues, making sure that we consider that in design. And then again, we come back to the same thing you've heard me mention several times, which is cost. You know, however we slice it, there are limits in how much funding is available to do affordable housing through these uh, tax credit and, and home programs. And so balancing those two um, was a challenge. And it, 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 frankly, I believe we underestimated it up front. And, uh, you know, it didn't, we weren't too far into the actual building design when we got funding Then we realized that, uh, that it was simply going to cost more than we planned. Now, part of this effort was we added to the tower. We adapted the tower for the clubhouse, the common amenities, uh, the fitness centers, uh, the meeting rooms, uh, the media rooms on the first floor. And so we have living space above, but to get a, um, uh, a critical uh, mass of units for financial feasibility, uh, we built an additional four-story uh, wood frame elevator served multifamily building that fit perfectly with what the city's downtown design was. So um, that, that, that part was, you know, the new construction part was frankly pretty easy. So if I had any warning about the obstacles of creating the project, it really had to do, at least from a physical standpoint, the confines of the building and the adaptive reuse. Now, Dale, I'm sure has uh, other comments on this, but his team at the HFC also handled a lot of the political obstacles that, that, that affordable housing faces in any, any really good markets. Um, you know, there, there are NIMBYs. There's always concern among elected officials about affordable housing fitting into the community. So I'll let Dale comment on that. Sure. Uh, you know, I had comments from some of my neighbors and uh, there, there was some concern about affordable housing being so close to the downtown area. Um, I would say since the project has, has been completed, um, everybody is very happy with the, the end result. Uh, it's a beautiful building. Uh, we have not seen uh, an increase in crime. Uh, or, or any activity like that. Um, the, uh, going, going back to some of the, the um, obstacles and challenges with, with adaptive reuse, um, I, I live in a house that was built in 1915, and I can tell you uh, every project takes longer than I think it'll take and costs more than I expect that it will cost because you, you don't really know what you're going to find until you open up a wall and, uh, and start the project. So um, this project definitely you know, on the, on the rehab side took a lot longer than I think anybody at the city expected. Um, but, uh, you know, the, you have to take all the proper steps to, to meet code and make sure the engineers are all nodding their head and, uh, and it turned out wonderful. So we're, we're really happy with the project. That's wonderful to hear. And I'm sure our listeners will be very intrigued to kind of learn from these hurdles as, as the experts so kind of switching gears, I think, Dale, you mentioned that you live really close to the project. So what has been, what have you seen the impact on your community be, been since, since the creation of the project? Well, um, when my wife and I walk our dog, we're, we're, we feel very comfortable walking by the building. It's, it's a beautiful building. Um, you know, we've seen an increase um, in traffic in the downtown shops and restaurants, uh, some, some increased business in that area. Um, 
it, uh, you know, it just is a bright spot in the community now. It's, it's no longer something that, that uh, I'm ashamed to, to drive by. That's awesome that you have this cool perspective of living so close. So pivoting and looking forward, what is your vision for the future of this project? Well, I think um, for the HFC, we're, we're looking forward to the next phase. I, I think the city is also excited to see the next phase. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, new, um, new developments with RISE, uh, adaptive reuse, especially. Uh, Garland is now um, going to be the location of a, of a new VA hospital um, at the old Baylor Scott White location. And so we are, are looking for adaptive uh, reuse and rehab opportunities in that area. And, and we hope to, to partner with, with RISE on some of those. Yeah, if I can uh, comment to the the city, you know, the city's uh, developed a vision for our location, um, and they supported mixed income because it got it got the eyesore fixed, um, which was really going to take subsidy, however you slice it. Um, we have quite a few market rate units, thirty, a little over thirty percent of the units are market rate. Uh, if anybody on this podcast believes you cannot get market rate premiums in an affordable development, that is not true. Um, uh, I tell folks the last person at the pool, you know, these units are identical. They're finished identical. Um, so if your kids are going from one unit to the next, th- th- there's there's no difference in what a market rate uh, unit looks like versus an affordable. And that was really important to, to the Housing Finance Corporation, that these units be of, of, of equal quality. Um, and I think that that's, that's important that they, they set that standard uh, as part of what we were doing. Uh, but But ultimately... We're 70% affordable and 30% market rate. The next phase will be primarily market rate, so that ultimately this development will be a higher percentage of market rate and a lower percentage of affordable. And we're trying to set an example for how these things can be done in the future. Many cities, in my experience, would embrace more affordable housing if the mix was more majority market rate, minority affordable because there's just this perception that the market rate is going to be a better looking, better quality development. I'm not sure I disagree with it, but those are the folks that make the decisions. It is very difficult uh, to finance developments once the affordability um, component goes below 70%. The people that invest in affordable housing are doing it for a particular purpose. They're not looking to take market rate risk. There's no real additional return for a housing tax credit uh, investor because there's a bunch more market rate than normal. So we do face this market uh, challenge in delivering uh, mixed income um, uh, on a broader scale. I I think everyone on the podcast knows if every multifamily development in the community was 80% market and 20% affordable, we probably wouldn't have, we'd certainly have a, a much diminished problem in delivering affordable housing in all markets, but that that's just not realistic. So the city had a, had a vision and the HFC is behind it to make this development, the two first two phases when it's finished of the kind of quality of city square, but that has a, a more robust market affordable mix. Um, you know, the housing finance corporation has a great reputation in a garland and but much of their work in in years past it, it you know goes unnoticed so the one good thing about the hfc as a partner is this is a very well respected group and your nalfa and talfa's award to this group has raised their profile in the community 
And I'd, I'd really like to say that ultimately promises were made and promises were kept. And that's going to help all affordable housing developers, not only in Garland, but throughout the state. And I've got great respect for the Housing Finance Corporation and their board. Uh, you know, the, the, they, they are completely unpaid. They don't get any boondoggle trips for training. They are there to serve their community and they do it uh, wonderfully. I've never been to a meeting that everyone wasn't in attendance. And uh, we're, again, we're, we're proud to be partners with the Garland Housing Finance Corporation. So wonderful to hear that you guys have such a wonderful partnership. And I know that NALFA is looking forward to the future of this project. And last but not least, um, can you share any final advice or insights with our audience who might be looking to start an affordable housing project like yours? Yeah, I'll I'll jump in here and start. Um, You know, we had the benefit of working with the Garland Housing Finance Corporation. So I'm going to assume that many of the people in the podcast um, don't necessarily have those relationships. So that my first advice would be to identify the housing facilitators in the communities that you're interested in. They're the people that can really make a difference in getting your project done. I think the next thing is to make sure that you're very familiar with the QAP and what is required to obtain the funding necessary to make affordable housing a reality in a major metropolitan area. This is, as you've heard, this is not an inexpensive uh, uh, product and there's limitations um, in most states as to what what the development costs and how much the, uh, the agency is gonna put into any one development. So I would certainly make sure that you start early with with your local partner, like the Housing Finance Corp. Be very familiar with your QAP so that you know that you have the opportunity to obtain the funding that you need to to make your vision a reality. Um, I I certainly mentioned establishing community relationships early. Involving people early uh, will help you succeed. Um, You'll fail without them. I, I, I would certainly say that. And the the public-private partnership with the Housing Finance Corporation uh, was a major step in getting the community involved early, which also involved the elected officials, which also involved the neighbors, because as as Dale has pointed out, everyone on the Housing Finance Corporation board lives in Garland. So they have to go out and pick up their newspapers, and they're accountable to the folks that live in Garland. And in Dale's cases, he was around the corner. So I think involving those folks early is uh, really important. And to the extent that they buy into your development, your chances of being successful are greatly enhanced. Um, the one of the things I like about affordable housing is it's a true team sport. I mean, we like to say, you know, Joe or Julie was instrumental in getting something done. It's, it's just not true. It, it takes a whole uh, community of folks, the state agency, the city councils, the county commissioners, uh, the the, the uh, local folks who handle building uh, d- issues, all on board, certainly getting the neighbors and the stakeholders that support housing is important. And if you involve them early, the ultimate objective is everyone wins when the development wins. And that's really what's happened here. Everyone's won because the development has turned out so well. And I want to make sure you understand, I, I want to be very clear. There is no possibility that this development would have happened without a public-private partnership, in this case, with a housing finance corporation. Uh, We would have gone nowhere without them, and I do not believe that the project would have been financially feasible without their participation. Well, thank you again, Dal and Bill, for joining us today to share with our listeners your award-winning project and some insights into affordable housing creation and implementation. It was a pleasure to speak with you both. Thank you so much for having us.
We enjoyed it. We enjoyed it as well. And thank you again for listening to the Nalpha Affordable Housing Podcast. Be sure to join us next time for more insightful affordable housing discussions.